Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, realizing my mic was three feet away, moving it a little closer. HG underscore star on the Bird app, Boilerhawk on Blackheart Gold Pants. Joined as always by Ben Ross, Ren Boss 23, Harmon Chillabrew. What is up, my man? Uh, just Harmon Chillabrew still out in the desert. Not sure our I'll ever leave. Uh, honestly, it's uh, it's easy to say now. Last week I had the whole work week off. This week <laughs> Monday was a little bit a little bit harsh. Back to reality. Um, it's it's so weird because like you always have the Monday Monday sads uh, on the week back from a work uh, from a vacation. It's like you're always traveling back home and then working and you're sad. It's like I've been in the same place. And so oh, all, yeah. of a, all of a sudden at like 1 p.m. today, I just got very depressed and I've just been riding a high all week. And it's like, oh my God, I'm up to my knuckles in emails. Um, and, and the only thing, I guess the thing that's changed is I'm no longer free <laughs> between the hours of eight and four, um, which is great because, you know, since my company's on central time, I'm working eight to four here, which is super ideal for me because I'm up at like 5.30 in the morning anyway, every day. Um, it's unfortunate. So you're, so you're working local time eight to four or local time like six to two. It's local Arizona time is eight to four, which is nine to five central. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, Arizona and their dumb time zone. I I can never get it straight. I know which I think, one they're in. I think daylight savings is next week or the week after. And isn't Arizona the only state that doesn't abide by daylight savings? I think there's some um, Indiana. Uh, Maybe. Indianapolis, something like that. But yeah, I mean, that's got it. What a time to be alive in Arizona, Ben. You get to not experience daylight savings time. I'm, I'm very excited for you. Not only that, I, I miss the snow apocalypse in Chicago. I think they accumulated around 30 inches of snow since I've been gone, which I really couldn't have left at a better time. Yeah, it reminds me of my mother, and she's she left Iowa. Um, end of January, no, middle of January, and has, she went to visit family on the East Coast and drove down to like Charleston to winter and presumably scout potential retirement communities for her and my father, and she's just living life. I told her that she needed to do exactly what you're doing and keep track of like the zero degree days and all the snow that's accumulated while you've not been in Iowa so that you can just realize truly what, what you've missed, because this is the worst part of the Midwestern winter. The the February is in my opinion, the worst month followed closely, closely by March because you think you're, you're out of it, but then there's going to be one snowstorm. That's like, ah, got you guys. There's always eight days of cold and snow in March and that, the worst part about it is it's followed up because then it's like 50 degrees immediately the next week. And everything's just soaking wet and brown. You get to see the grass. It's dead. And it is just you step in anywhere you step. You still have to wear galoshes everywhere, you, anywhere you leave because <laughs> you are still in an ankle of water. Uh, you just constantly hear dripping. There are falling icicles that uh, can potentially kill. It's just... It's, and I've always said, I've always said, I don't mind the cold. I don't like, you know, uh, I, I like seasons and all of that. But after it was really, really cold when I left Chicago and now have enjoying yeah, uh, humidity. It's, and it's because I'm holding, I'm holding up. I prefer cold over humidity. I would, I still, oh, yeah. I still hold it up to that take the dry air. They always say it's not the heat, it's not the humidity, most Midwestern thing of all time. <laughs> and so now my parents are in a community where the house we went to, we found out today, we met the people who live behind us, and they, they're from Minnesota too. 
just coincidentally, like there are all these Midwestern transplants in this pretty, pretty uh, relatively rural part of Arizona. It's about, <laughs> it's about a 90 minute drive from Phoenix. Um, oh boy. It's just funny how, how it's worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like I said, I'm happy for you. Uh, we had the weird snow here in Arkansas. Don't need to belabor it, but we thought we were out of the woods on Tuesday and then got a ton more snow on Wednesday. So I think there were probably six to eight inches accumulated in a part of the country that is not used to it. Thankfully, a little more used to it than Texas, because that that was a nightmare. And I'm glad that we were out of that um, as we have been for the last three years. But to, to me, it was hilarious because my wife and I had just kind of resigned to the fact that we're homebound for this week because we just didn't trust that anything got plowed. Turns out we, we have to go to the grocery store on like Thursday or Friday of last week. And the second we turn on to not even a main road, but a secondary road, I'll call it our street being a tertiary road that never got plowed. Um, immediately plowed. So it's like, oh, okay, maybe we <laughs> maybe we weren't given Arkansas enough credit. Uh, our trash got delayed a full three or four days, but, you know, win some, lose some. Tax dollars, I'm really happy to hear that they're going to work in Arkansas. I'm curious, when you went to the grocery <laughs> store, were, were the shelves bare from panic buying, or was it, you know, business as usual? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was nuts. Um, I feel like this happened in March of last year. I think the panic buying might be even more aggressive here as the home of the number one retailer in the world. Somehow we can't collectively recognize that, oh, maybe we need to have one. I will say the thing that really surprised me when I went was milk was locked and loaded. So they had the take one sign up and really that's, that works, you know, so I, but it, it's funny how you put up one piece of paper and it kind of makes it work. But if that piece of paper isn't there, then people go bananas for whatever it is. That is funny. I also, I, I think we talk about milk. I, I have no belief that milk <laughs> Milk drinkers will be going extinct eventually. I, I do not understand that beverage for the life of me. God <laughs> love Alex Kukin because this I know is, I I've thought about this for the last three weeks uh, since the Super Bowl, and he said that he drinks uh, thirty-two ounces of milk a day minimum or something like that, and it is that is a chaotic number. Um, I have between six and eight ounces of milk every day with my cereal. I measure it out to be the exact proportion of milk and cereal because I do not trust myself to eat the right amount if I don't measure it during the week. I'll cut loose on the weekends. Um, and it is, yeah, like, oh, milk's fine. Like, I, like thinking of the alternative ones, like, oh, milk's fine. It's the one that I think if everyone had to um, like milk just stop being made. People could make their own oat milk and it would work. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree with you in terms of milk being something that's on its way out. It's because I mean, I, I used to drink a ton of milk. I just don't anymore. We had a milkman growing up. We were like the only, we were, we had the old timey milk come <laughs> to our house. We got, we, a, oh family, a family of four. Only only me and my dad were the only man. My sister and my mom. We got four gallons of milk a week. Um, just insanity, you know. Going going back to big Hawkeye fan Gukin, like thirty two ounces of milk a day. That's <laughs> that's over a day's worth of carbs, just from milk. <laughs> Absolute insanity. I do not get it. I know. I don't think he listens to this, and I he shouldn't. But we should we should have a mind just to defend. Of all of his insane takes, his milk drinking, I think, is the one he should go to the Hague for. <laughs> the Hague. <laughs> I don't want to cost him too much, but yeah, I, I think that... <laughs> I do, because I know he doesn't listen. 
<laughs> we've uh, gone against it so much that it is worth worth having uh, him on for for a defense of milk. Um, on the beverage department, I was thinking about this a lot because if you to the listener, if you can't hear, little under the weather. I was thinking about when I went to um, the dining halls at Purdue. I had it, it just chaotic how um, this was probably when I drank the most amount of milk because it was free. Um, but I was thinking about the combination of drinks that I would get, especially when I was under the weather or hungover, whatever you want to say. Um, and the one that always sticks out is I had a very specific juice ratio that I would make plus a Sprite Powerade combination. So it was like 50% orange juice, 40% apple juice, and then 10% grape juice. So it looked like a punch. And then the Sprite was probably 75% Sprite, 25% Powerade. And I, I don't know why I was thinking about this all week. But that's what I do with, you know, the last four weeks off. I just think about all the times in my past where I drank insane amount of non-water beverages. The Sprite Powerade was under, underrated. I'm glad to hear that they that the engineers over at Purdue were able to pick that up. Because uh, I feel like that's something everybody, uh, every college, at least college male, um, has, in, has, has in their diet plan. You also bring up a great point. I did forget about... <laughs> I do remember like the chocolate milk from Hillcrest was like the, one of the best drinks you could you, you could find. And then I remember the milk being good too. Cause I think it probably, they probably dispensed 2% from cause the, the milk dispensers at Hillcrest. They probably same way at, at Purdue were just like separate. They were their own yep. big metal boxes. So it's probably as fresh as it could get and kept at the coldest possible temperature before it could freeze. And that, I guess if I was offered uh, an eight ounce glass of that right now, I would drink it without question. The chocolate milk or the 2% milk. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm not being 30 years old to your point, 32 ounces of milk being over a daily day's value of, of carbs can't do it anymore. But when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, heck yeah, I'm going to do that. 32 ounces of anything but water or beer on a uh, on a non-work night <laughs> is, is asinine. Well, I'll give him credit. He drinks it throughout the day. Like, I'm not going to say, like, he gives a big gulp of milk because that is truly <laughs> an indefensible decision. I never I never considered how he ra- – I don't care how he rations it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm not okay. anybody, but God. All right. We well, should, if should we tell for him some about reason, this? We have to. Let uh, him, yeah, we have to. We're gonna have yeah. to let him defend himself. Yes. The funniest part is this he is a month old. This is a month old tweet too. We're bringing out of the. <laughs> he he subtweeted me this past week though with his got milk hat. So um, oh, okay. this is okay. So this is carrying it on. This is a news cycle that won't die. I'm not gonna mention the other news cycle that won't die. I'm gonna let that one die. Um, you can read between the lines there. But I think one thing that we did want to circle back from our last podcast was the prediction I remember having about Tim Polasek, the replacements being done by the end of this week. And Ben, you have a little bit of an update there. Yeah, kind of. I just thought I was very I, – I, I thought we would know by now because last week I said that I think the smoke signals were crystal clear with um, there's no way Kirk was Kirk Ferentz and co were blindsided by that, by that, by, 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 by Polsek leaving. I'm sure Craig Bowl did let uh, Kirk know as early as November or December that he was on Polsek. And so the, that gave the, the staff plenty of time to get their ducks in a row. And so I thought they would have that position ready, locked and loaded. And before hopping on, I was reading Scott Dockerman's, uh, mailbag where he mentioned that the job more or less has to stay open for really posterity, which is fine, whatever, until the 25th. So uh, we believe uh, us on the Pants Party believe that the, the role will be filled as early as Friday and 
next week at the absolute latest. And I think that sounds about right. Uh, with And I assume with the way, the way these go, Foster, I think his replacement will be announced shortly thereafter, if not at the exact same time. But I, I don't think Foster would be the, the running back coaches. Uh, that I don't think that role will be filled publicly uh, before offensive line for a couple of reasons. But it's not super important, I think. I feel like they're always announced together, so so yeah. that that would be my my one. I think uh, Foster and Copeland point of disagreement. Together. Okay, I guess yeah, but make it make it one press release instead of two. Yeah, I, consolidate that stuff. Um, anyways, so so that's that. Uh, other other news though, more exciting news I think. Uh, other than you know the the goings ons of hirings and uh, job movements are. Your Iowa Hawkeyes, a four-game winning streak up to ninth in the AP pool. Um, two good wins, I would say. Uh, beating Wisconsin on the road, like, like the Penn State, or excuse me, Michigan State on the road. You you never look a gift horse in the mouse, mouse a gift horse in the mouth um, because they just don't come along often. I don't care if it's a, a COVID season. If you beat Wisconsin on the road, you cherish that. And you tuck it in at night and you say, thank you, sleep tight. I'll see you in the morning. Um, so that happened. And then Iowa had, uh, we, we'll probably talk a little more in depth about the Penn State game. Um, but the record-breaking Luca Garza uh, broke Roy Marble's record um, in – an exciting game uh, felt very big 10 at times, but um, you know, a, a solid bounce back after a, a one in four um, start to the month, more or less. I mean, the, the world has been on fire and then extinguished twice already <laughs> as, uh, as now a basketball fan, people were after the Minnesota loss on Christmas night. I think there's just too much bourbon in the eggnog. Uh, of Iowa fan yeah. on Twitter that night. And then following the, would you say the second Indiana loss would be the the other peak or the Ohio State loss? I think it, it was the one where I think Fran just got, he, he got weird in the postgame. Was that at Indiana? I think it was the second Indiana game. Uh, it, I feel it was like. The second Indiana game. We could say yeah, the, so Twitter. I guess the Illinois game too, but that was a little bit more. I think people collectively agree that Iowa kind of got job in that game, but we need to mm-hmm. talk about that later. Yeah, that's that's a different topic for a different day. Um, yeah, I think that the fever pitches you you nailed between the Minnesota game, chalk it up to you know everyone goosing themselves, and then yeah, the Indiana game. A solid rally, like in my opinion, you look at the teams that they beat and they're stronger just looking at it from uh, bird's eye view. It looks like, I mean, that Wisconsin win is probably Iowa's best win um, of the season, followed by Purdue in the first half of the season. Um, and then these last four games, yeah, uh, it's it's been a good one. Ken Palm has a marked 3A a wins and then a, a B win um, versus when you look back that previous five game winning streak, it was three B's and two A's. So um, h- hard to argue against this being Iowa's strongest stretch of the season. Yeah. I mean, without question, you, uh, Wisconsin and you take those wins uh, few and far between, I think it's been really, really important too, as Iowa now our next two games are against, the number at the time, I don't know if they are. I haven't looked at the rankings today, but uh, when last I looked, so on Saturday, Michigan was number three, Ohio State was number four in the country, right? So it's the same. It's the yeah. same. Wow. It, yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, can't imagine a bigger stretch of Iowa basketball. And I guess, you know, we can, not to preview, preview them right now or anything, which I guess maybe we should. Uh, I think you take any, you know, you take two and oh. And the spirits are sky high. You go one and one. I don't really care which team you beat and which team you lose to. Uh, and obviously, I think you'd want, would prefer to beat Michigan. You have a theory, I think, that before I will lose to Michigan. I maybe or maybe somebody else said that in our slap. 
um, you take one and one and things are good. And then you take on two. It's like, all right, it depended on the way it, I will potentially loses um, potentially how those games shake out. You, it, you, that I think that changes how, how you feel about it. It's like you, 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 you live with any outcome for these next two games, which is kind of surprising. Short of two blowouts, um, yes. two blowout losses. Yes. Yeah, you you live with any outcome. Um, I think that the thing that when you look at it from kind of the macro point of view, and, and I think I don't want to necessarily get in, step on the toes of our future conversation, but I think from an Iowa perspective, turning if you can pick one of those one of the games to win and one to lose i think it is the michigan game to lose um just in, in the sense that uh let them run away with the conference title don't let illinois get into that discussion because that's kind of what it looks like right now as kind of the the clear um number two just in terms of games to play uh ohio state still has they only have three games left um, Illinois has seven, or excuse me, five, and then Wisconsin had, or oh my God, Michigan has um, five as well. So I, I think that, yeah, let let Michigan kind of run away with it, and if you can beat Ohio State, it's it, as we've learned, it's tough to sweep in the conference. So they'll have that going a little bit against them um, playing Iowa, even though it is at Ohio State, and I, I think. Ultimately, though, the way I was won these last four games and played the fifth with Indiana, uh, the stat that I had kind of latched on to um, ahead of the uh, um, Penn State game was four straight uh, games. I was held opponents under 70 points, and that last happened in 2015 against Big Ten teams. So... By hook or by crook, I, I don't care how it happens. The fact that Iowa's done that, they've moved up to, even ahead of Ohio State, um, from Ken Palm in terms of adjusted defense to 75th. If they can keep that trajectory going, you know, like that's what turns them into a Final Four team is being able to not let games get away from them. And also, you know, just being able to play rock fights like we've seen them play. Have they come away with as many wins as we would have liked? Probably not. But, you know, they they beat Rutgers early and that was a rock fight. Uh, They beat Penn State here. Um, It's kind of those high, high paced, high octane games that are the ones that Iowa struggles with a little bit more. Um which feels weird considering just how strong they are offensively. But you look at, you know, that Ohio state game, the Illinois game, the Minnesota game, the Gonzaga game, those are kind of those four games are the non Indiana losses that were really just kind of high scoring games that you would think Iowa might have a better shot in, but they, they really didn't. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's, Encouraging too, I, I suppose. I think we should maybe get a little bit. We should maybe get into the Penn State conversation now because it yeah. speaks to the bigger picture of how um, how the rest of the season will shake out. It's encouraging. Um, this team, I mean, the Penn State game for a moment, you know, at the beginning, it looked like it was going to be a blowout, and then I think yeah. we let Penn State go on a bit of a twelve and all run or something like that. And it looked like it was going to be, and then I, I would be down at half following a fan McCaffrey T. And I, I don't know. I still have, I've watched that goaltend a couple of times, and I don't know where I land on it. I guess I don't think it was one. Um, kind of ridiculous. Uh, just you know, everything was going against them towards the end, and it felt like oh my god. And then Garza um, hadn't gotten the twelve points. In the first half, which is a you know crazy thing to say, uh, it just felt you know pretty tense. Uh, but obviously, and this was rampant in the comments on our site and elsewhere post game. It's like as soon as Garza got to twelve, the team felt a lot more looked a lot more relaxed. You know, I didn't cover, but that doesn't not a not a huge deal. Uh, 
it, it looked like they were – I was firing on all cylinders more often in the Penn State game than I can remember. See, maybe the, the Wisconsin game, they were. They looked like they were they, – they kind of buried – buried them pretty easily too, but I, I'm kind of a Wisconsin truther. This team, this Wisconsin team, isn't just talented enough to play um, the Tony Bennett, Greg Gard style of basketball. That is a hallmark to people who enjoy, people who hate the sport of basketball. <laughs> uh, masochists everywhere, and. It just kind of feels, not to say, I don't really believe, you know, the Garza scoring thing was a monkey out the team's back, but winning four in a row shows that they're capable. You know, you've always said what? they need. All they need to do is beat Ohio State and Michigan now to win the whole thing, right? That's the, you need to win six games in a row to win the, to win the national championship. So, I mean, we're so close now, uh, Harrison. <laughs> and yeah. um, before I let you take it over, it's just like, I've kind of – I haven't been super happy with the way they've handled C.J. Frederick. Fran has handled C.J. Frederick this year. I don't think – he. Should, I think the last few games where he has played, he shouldn't have been playing. But he would, He looked 100% against Penn State. He, I, I think it was probably his best game of the year. And um, I've kind of – I've said, you know, in a couple of Iowa's losses, I didn't – especially the second Indiana loss, I felt like having C.J. in that game wouldn't have changed the outcome. I changed my mind now because he um it feels i i was about to say he might be i was second most important player but joe Wieskamp has been absolutely sensational too so the fact that you know he'd be i was third most important player behind the best player in the country and i mean uh billis was you know mentioning uh not lottery pick but just outside lottery pick potential for for Wieskamp is you know pretty high praise yeah, so I think I want to start with the Frederick thing first because first and foremost, yeah, he looked 100% against Penn State and I think it's – I get back to like the, the weird comping this to what does it look like in either the Big Ten tournament or national – the NCAA tournament and him being able to go Thursday, Sunday – is encouraging. It's not the same as a Thursday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday, but um, him playing two games within 72 hours is uh, it's encouraging to think that, all right, if he's got that now can Fran and the training staff and just dumb luck, get him into a position where he can um, play the the games that Iowa will need him to play um, because it's, impossible to argue that he doesn't make Iowa a different team and a more complete team. Um, how did, how would it have changed kind of the, the complexion of those four losses? Yeah, I think you can go around and around on that. I think it probably turns one and four into three and two sucks, but I, I guess that's just what it is. And that's kind of why Fran boiled over at that one point was he just knew we're not operating at a hundred percent and I don't want to coach CJ into playing games that he can't play something I said before. So um, yeah, uh, when CJ's playing great, he, I was a national title contender. Um, and then when we talk about the Penn state game, more broadly speaking, I thought it really was a there will never be another game like that in Iowa basketball history because I think it had a, a huge confluence of events in terms of Iowa just having the pressure of continuing their momentum um, from a three-game winning streak and trying to move forward, challenging for the double buy in the conference tournament. And then you had Luca Garza breaking the record. Um, and it's clear that that affected them from an offensive standpoint, they were forcing the ball into him. Connor McCaffrey over the last couple of games has had two, four very uncharacteristic turnovers on entry passes. Um, the offense stagnates a little bit. It allows the defense to really collapse on him. And Garza does a good job of finding guys, um, not an elite job, which is fine. Um, but it, it makes Iowa more defensible when they're just trying to hammer it home to Garza, no matter how good he is. And then I think 
it's clear he was in his head. Like, who? He, he's a, a national player of the year contender, and he airballed a free throw. He's never done that. Um, but the second he goes up on it, he has a an individual 10-point run. Bohannon caps it off with a three-pointer. Iowa goes up 11. And really, that's the story of the game is if, if you know, if Iowa had been able to not play it the way that they had, maybe if he gets it in the first half, then they play free the whole way home. Um, yeah, uh, but to me, it's like they're not going to have that pressure that they had because you, the other thing was, how horrible would it have been if he had broken the record and they lost? So like you, there's just a ton of unique pressure applied to that single game and Penn state to their credit an underrated team. I think um, Ken Palm probably has them properly rated in the top 40 to 45, um, but they're tough. They are Iowa's kryptonite in the way that, Hey, they can hit the three. They can make them defend five dribblers, uh, all can dribble pass shoot. So um, I I thought I weathered that really well um, without, again, with the look ahead potential of a Michigan game that got moved up a week and a half. So I I think that we can spin ourselves up into being frustrated about that Penn State game. But to me, it was just incredibly encouraging and and kind of the stuff that you want to see a veteran team withstand from a a mental standpoint because uh, a lot of stuff went, went against them, but they locked in defensively. I think Penn state only made four field goals in the second half. And really it was, yeah. I mean, like you said, four games is, is getting you into um, the final four. If you win four in a row in the tournament and it's a dumb thing for me to say like that, but uh in that way, it is still encouraging. Uh, the thing that scares me is how it feels like the top of the Big Ten being the top um, four to six teams are playing at a much higher level than they were last year. And it's going to suck when, you know, Iowa finishes 13 and 7, 14 and 6, and they haven't locked in that potentially they don't lock in that double buy. That's the thing that kind of frustrates me in terms of like, uh, did they, is it a loss? Cause that's kind of been the, my target for success is this double buy from a regular season standpoint. And it's like, some of it's just bad luck. You know, if for some reason they end up 13 and seven and Penn state or Purdue is 13 and six, Purdue gets it on the percentage points and, Iowa would be the fifth seed and that would really stink, but sometimes that's just how it goes. I I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that if that happens, but the games have to play out. Maybe I'm getting ahead of my skis, even though I don't ski. That scenario had never even crossed my mind until now. And I'm just so angry because that's going to (laughs) happen. A crappy team, like exactly. It will be Purdue and uh, whatever. I mean, again, I can't say it enough on here. I don't care about how, I mean, now I kind of do care about how the season ends, <laughs> but <laughs> I care more than anything about how, well, I mean, the regular season, excuse me. Um, all I care about is <clears throat> Iowa making a run in the tournament and Garza getting vindicated um, for his decision to come back. We we get the chance to um punch COVID back in the mouth for derailing our season early last year when it felt like Iowa had some momentum for really, you know, the first time of the Fran era. Not, no, I don't mean it like that, but I, maybe I do. Um, and now then have the chance to carry, carry that out. And yeah, I, and I think going back to the Penn State game real quick, I think it was important too, because I think Penn State sort of derailed Iowa season last two last year too, right before COVID hit, because that game was in late February in, in the or yeah, it was in February in the Palestra, right? And that's when CJ Frederick got hurt, isn't it? Oh yeah, the January game because that was like you're you're exactly right. Yeah. That was a game where Iowa let them they lost two games that day because they had to go from Philadelphia all the way to Lincoln and 
no Frederick, and they lost two games by a combined, well, I guess, nine points, but two stupid losses that shouldn't have happened. And if if you flip them, Iowa gets the four seed, but it's not always that easy. Um, but, yeah, another game that just demonstrated C.J. Frederick's value. Yeah, again, I <laughs> Which mean, is, it, it, it all comes back to him, right? That's going to be the story of Iowa basketball while he's here. Yeah, uh, it will be. And I think we, we've said uh, a few times, not not to take time away from Garza anymore, but we've said a few times that next year we think this this is going to be Joe Toussaint's team. And with each game, it feels like it's going to be less and less true. And next year, this is going to be C.J. Frederick's team. Yeah, I mean, like you Again, said. Again, I hate like, to look ahead, yeah. Yeah, enjoy what we've got, but it, it's easy to see a situation, especially if Jay Billis is right and Joe Wieskamp gets a, a first-round grade. Hard to envision him staying with with that type of thing hanging over his head. Then, yeah, I mean, it's C.J. Frederick's team, and he's immediately, you know, he, he puts himself in position to be Fran's next guy who gets on first-team All-Big Ten because – Fran builds teams around his best players and it's impossible to come up with any construction of guys currently on the roster and not see CJ Frederick being um, that first option next year, because you saw the the beginning of that Penn state game, he just took it over, uh, scored eight points, never takes a bad shot. And it's incredible. The efficiency with which this guy plays, he's, He's so good. I think he caught a break, not getting a turnover on a really, really bad pass to Wieskamp. Um, but other than that, he he's as mistake-free as any Iowa player. And and he has that swagger. It goes all the way back to his college – or excuse me, his high school game. You you watch him and I, I still can't believe he was, he was willing to pay to play at Iowa. Like, I mean, not to get carried away with C.J. Frederick talk, but like – the, the discussion has to start there, how overlooked he was. Um, so we'll see how it plays out the rest of this year and, and into the next year. But C.J. Frederick, yeah, I mean, he, he's the guy. Again, not, not to keep on beating on the C.J. Frederick thing, but to, 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 to counter your pay-to-play part, it's like you, you remember his his uncle was coached by Fran at Notre Dame too. So. Right, I think I think that played no small part of it. <laughs> it's just funny when you get into the. <laughs> I don't think there's a better way to use this word, but the the incestuousness of the <laughs> the the Iowa Iowa roster makeup. It's two coaches, two of Fran's sons, a guy who is border <laughs> borderline Kentucky Player of the Year, whose uncle was coached by Fran. Um, I guess it kind of starts to stop. Twins. Two twins, twins who are twins who are, twins who are uh, legacy players. Yeah, legacy. And then Jack Nungy, who was the McCaffrey's like first neighbors way back in the day when they moved into Iowa City. I mean, yeah, the the oh, is that true. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean, the, the ties run deep with this team. I guess maybe there's a construction where you can be like, ah, oh, maybe Pat is the best player next year. But to to me, it's like Frederick is the most consistent when he's the when he. I mean, well, he's question, never not yeah. efficient. Without so. question. So turning the discussion a little bit to the broad topic du jour, the topic of the week is this media creation of Ayu Donsumu versus Luca Garza in terms of national player of the year. And truly it is asinine to be having at this point because you look at the betting markets and Garza is still like a runaway favorite. Um, you looked this time last year and it was, you know, more 50, 50 in terms of top end versus Garza. Um, I have some thoughts, but I wanted to, to give you the floor before I, I go off on it. I gave you my take before the podcast, before we aired and I'm struggling to remember what I said. Um, I believe I do remember now. Okay. So I think the I think Illinois fans at large. I am in. This is funny. I'm in a group chat with my two old roommates, and then one of my roommates' brother-in-law is like the biggest Illinois fan I know. His name is Hank. 
And he he's just, you know, he's an Illinois basketball fan the way, uh, let me say, like the Chicago Bears fans are about the Chicago Bears. Absolutely no, 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 no logic, no thought, no, no critical <laughs> thinking is going in to their absolutely blind fandom. And so he's texting about Iowa. It's like the, these Illinois fans, I think, and I don't think they should necessarily care about the record. Uh, you know, Garza scoring record and all of that. But I think, and I've seen it displayed pretty prominently uh, across national media when I took took my glances this morning um, on Twitter and, and the sites I subscribe to. And it, they're, they're running pretty heavy on Garza's milestone. And I think now that that is in the national consciousness in a way that I don't think, because it was never really advertised, Obviously, you know, before the broadcast, it was never like there weren't articles being written on ESPN about how Garza is 12 points away from the hour record because, like, it was set by Roy Marble, who, you know, people don't really know who that is because it was 30 years ago and Marble never really did anything beyond beyond Iowa. Um, I, I suppose he did, but, you know, nothing super memorable. And now that I guess the, the, he's Garza's being, he's been, he's ascended a new sort of pedestal in a way. It's detracting from Dasumu's um, 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 claim to, to, the, to, the, to that throne, I think, because, you know, is Dasumu going to go down as an all-time great in Illinois? Pro- I mean, yes, probably, but does he have the hardware to back that up? No. Right, right. I love the answering of rhetorical question. It's, it's literally my favorite thing done on podcasts. Uh, I'd say that unironically. Yeah, it's a question just, asking. Just sound, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just digging myself into a hole of making it think that I'm being an asshole, but really I'm not. Yeah, I think that's a great point because what what your point builds off of is just the consistency with which Garza plays and takes away from in a way because you look at kind of the game logs that he has. And the, the, the first thing that jumps out is he's got seven 30-point games. I don't care who those come against. He's got three of them against uh, Big Ten competition. Three plus Gonzaga, so four against quality competition. He has that game where he went 13 of 14 against Iowa State, and then he scored 40 points in his second game of the season. So he's he's playing at such a consistently high level that it's totally it doesn't feel good when he does something normal. Dasumu, in my opinion, is the beneficiary of a little bit of stat juicing, not necessarily as explicitly as what happened the other night where he's in the in the lineup at the end of a 30 point game to get two rebounds and get a triple double those happen all the time whatever are we really going to turn the national player of the year conversation based on who's getting triple doubles i i hope not because that's the dumbest thing i would ever hear but he's also you look at their their per 40 minute numbers and garza's lapping him in points uh 32 points versus 24 11 rebounds versus 8 Dasunmu, and and he does get credit for this. I don't want to seem like I'm just peeing in his Cheerios, but, you know, six assists, eight, if you prorate it to 40 minutes. Um, He does the, hey, first 38 minutes are the team's last two are mine. I get it. Um, But the thing that, that Garza doesn't get credit for, that Dasunmu does is that stretch I talked about in the Penn State game where he won the game for Iowa to go 10 straight points, turns it into a double-digit game with Bohannon's three, just completely turn the tide. He has those stretches. It feels like every other game. Like he had it against Wisconsin. He he had them, you know against I think even North Carolina when he was struggling a little bit. He had it against Iowa State, as I mentioned before. Like 
he has these games where he puts up points and Iowa doesn't, he doesn't get credit for him because Iowa wins them by 15 points. Should, should he, should Iowa play these games closer so that uh, they can pound it to Garza and they can go to overtime against Nebraska and he can score 15 points in overtime. Maybe, maybe that'd give him some credit, but like the, I, I just don't understand how that is lost in the discussion about Garza when they make it a point about Desumu just because, uh, okay, m- maybe don't score 13 points against Northwestern. Like, it, it just, uh, it bugs me. It bugs me. And here's the thing that where I think the argument falls apart is Illinois, they're always so quick to say, well, you know, Garza's not going to do anything in the NBA and Desumu is going to be a lottery pick and, you know, a 10-year perennial great. It's like, one, you don't know that. And two, would you be, like, Garza could very well have a better pro career than Dosumu. Like, obviously, you know, there's been, there's plenty of reasons to think Garza won't be a great NBA player and, and, and all of that. Uh, you look at, like, you know, Frank Kaminsky and, and not, not to make that compare that easy comparison, which I don't think is exactly one-to-one as everybody wants it to be. But... If I were to tell you, tell anybody that if Garza were to become the better pro player in the NBA, maybe you'd be you know surprised, but you wouldn't be shocked. It wouldn't knock your socks off. I don't think any reasonable person would you know take a million to one bet on that on that type of on that type of thing. And second of all, taking that part away, it's like who cares. We're not talking about. Yeah. We're not talking. We're talking about two different sports. The NBA and college basketball are two different sports. I don't care. Like, they're both a sport of basketball, but I mean, that's, they're two different sports. They're two different leagues. Um, that's apples and oranges, and it, it's just you know it, everything falls apart at the threads when you get to the root of the problem, and that, that's that's just how it always feels. And I I think you know I I, I feel pretty good about. Um, you know these these Illinois ILL people kind of their their argument slipping through their fingers because it's 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 becoming you know wet newspaper. Uh, the more and more of the, the the as the season wears on. <laughs> yeah, I think you make a great point about the NBA. Just because you even look at to me the very worst comp for Garza is Hansborough, and that guy had in a year NBA career. So like if you're saying, so yeah, like I think whatever projection there's very much the case that Garza could have a longer NBA career than Dosunmu. The other thing that falls apart when you look at it from what was the discussion last year versus this year is, and I thought this was a very fair case was Toppin's team just wins. Now, they're in the Atlantic 10, fine, whatever. But he consistently had them in the top three to four of the country, and Iowa was in and out of the top 25. That's not the case this year. And maybe it goes differently. These last two weeks, maybe Iowa runs it down their leg, and they finish in the, call it, 21st, and Illinois is able to push for a conference title messes up and whatever it is, maybe they're in the top five, Iowa slips to 21st, fine, whatever. I'll live with that. But at this point in time, there's not that, oh, he wins, Iowa doesn't case that existed last year. And there was also the, um, the the advanced stats backed it up. Dayton was consistently in that top five category. Iowa was, I think maybe they topped out at um, 13th all last season. So to me, the, the arguments that were in Toppin's favor last year are no longer in Dasunmu's favor in the same way. That doesn't make sense. Um so yeah, I, I just wanted to use this time to rant because I I just view it as a totally asinine argument um, to to 
consider anyone other than Garza at this point because it's just a media construction. And I mean, let's also, I think, you know, you know, Garza being uh, a senior too, and just having a really special, 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 special senior year. He's just got too many things going for him. He's going to be, he's a lock for first team all big 10 lock to be first team all American. It's just, you know, stars, I think are beginning, you know, we're starting to see them align down the stretch. Yeah. And and I almost think in a way it's, it's hard to meet. It's almost harder to meet really, really high expectations than this is a bad take than exceed pretty high expectations. Because I, I think the expectations for Garza coming in were higher than Dosunmu's. Um, I mean, without and, question, there was argument of preseason. There's argument that Kofi Coburn was the best player on Illinois, whereas going into this season, we knew Garza was the best player on Illinois. Uh, on Iowa. Wow. Yeah, so I, I think that that also is the type of thing that it, it's just not held against him. Like, everyone thought that, oh, his points are going to go backwards, and maybe they do, but through through 23 games so far this year, he's still up. He's up at 25, 20, 24, 25 from 23.7 with a stronger team around him. Um, Io, he's he's up. His shooting percentage is way up. Like he, I don't want to, none of this retroactively is to bury Io because he's an incredible yes, basketball player. I just think, eh. <laughs> but I, 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 but like, I mean, he went from a, he went from a 29% shooter t- from three to a 42% shooter right now. Um, Garza went from 35 to 44. Like, Desumu gets more credit for that because he made the bigger increase, but Garza's kind of the better shooter. And it's just, it's, it's all, all of these things are dumb. And I hate the arguments that have to be made because um, Iowa, because uh, Garza's, he, he's been that, uh, secretariat running from, you know, 17 lengths ahead. The fact that it's a 10 length race, does it bear a discussion? Yes, because 10 lengths is still domination. I was shocked to read this morning that Luca Garza has over 100 three pointers in his career at Iowa. Absolutely shocked. Yeah, all this, all this stuff about him, like it's incredible. He's. He, I, I thought Matt did a great job. He's as good a player as Iowa's ever had and may ever will. Um, to me, the, this distant second is probably Lester just because he was such a freak athlete. Uh, Magic Johnson has some very kind things to say about Lester too, which is but, maybe worth a little bit. But, but there, there's no one like Garza, no one, and never will be. The quote-unquote problem with Lester is, like, he was only at Iowa for two years, and, like, his – what he brought was just intangible. You couldn't quantify it because he didn't bring up yeah. – didn't pet the stats, and it was just, like, you can't quantify how athletic he was as a, as a point guard and what he was able to do with the ball in his hands and his, um, the offense he was able to create. You know, the what Lester was able to do, from what I understand, you know, it's just like, intangible. I hate to use that, you know, but it's, you know, the classic sports term. Whereas Garza <laughs> – he fills up every single statistic, which is part of being intangible. He is uh, irreplaceable. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think that kind of closes it for me in terms of the Garza versus Dasunmu and Garza as the, the greatest of all time. Ben, is, is there anything else you wanted to hit on before we, uh, I'll use a West Wing term, put a lid on it? You know, uh, I don't think so. I feel pretty good about everything, I guess. I will say, you know, I, I wish I would have brought this up earlier. I was I really had no intentions uh, since uh, my the TV situation I'm in currently in Arizona is pretty is less than ideal. And so I wasn't, I was, you know, wasn't even going to listen to the game yesterday. I was out reading a book. And uh, I don't know, this weird little grove uh, in this neighborhood my parents are <laughs> are renting in. And I finally, you know, about 
10 minutes before I tip off, I decided I should watch Luca Garza try and break the record. So I hijacked my parents' golf cart and drove up. There's like a, a leasing office type place in this gated community that had that has a, has a bar that closed down in COVID, but I know the TVs were functioning. So I was able to get <laughs> I was able to get a real estate agent. That, I was sitting at an empty bar. Literally, there are no bottles out. All the taps were taken out. <laughs> just sitting there alone, watching uh, Luca Garza. No sound. They didn't have they they don't have sound set up there. But it's just I could I wouldn't have had it any other way. Oh, man, what a story! I wish we wish we had discussed that a little more in depth. Yeah, because that is that's fantastic. Oh man, it was funny. I, I will use this last minute to say I've gotten into some financial things throughout these last four weeks. I got into crypto for a solid week and a half. I got into uh, the AMC GME stuff for another week and a half. And this NBA top shot. Please thing, explain it. Explain that. Please take this time to explain that like I'm an idiot because I don't know what that is. It is a racket. <laughs> Like everything so, else you just mentioned, GME, Bitcoin. Yes. It's all, yes. all, it's all so, fake. So the best way I can describe it is this is 100% supply manipulation to drive up the price of discrete assets online. They call them non-fungible tokens, whatever. I Let's call them a digital asset. So what they do is they'll have these random drops because they're still operating in beta. And it is such a joke. 5,000 thi- 5, of these is things are like, released. Like, uh, it's, a, it's like a crypto company in conjunction with the NBA. So the like NBA, the NBA loves it because... The NBA is in, Adam Silver is getting his beak wet in this bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So like you look at it and like they're on pace to um, gross, the NBA is 25% of merchandise sales through this. So like total racket. And the way they do it is by restricting the supply. The supply comes through these 5,000 at a time case pack drops. Three tokens, highlights, whatever you want to call them, are in each pack. So they're only releasing 15,000 of these things at a time. And it's just total supplies low. People are driving high. Now, I'm not going to... I'm going to rant about it. I'm not doing anything I shouldn't. I put $50 in. I just wanted to get a pack because the pack is the only way to kind of enter the market at a base level. Unless you want to spend $60 on a Mike Conley layup. I have, I bought it for $13. God help me. Anyways. um, So what what happens if Mike Conley makes a layup? it, It isn't. It is a highlight of him making a layup wait what so it's like so it's like a a baseball it's like a basketball card but so how do you make digital asset how do you make money off of this because it's supply driven they're just restricting the supply so people who have money so you're the only person who has a mic comment layup right now no, because there are 15,000 in theory that could exist of this layup, but they're restricting the number. And once they actually flood the market, like they do with like Pokemon cards, like say, oh, you wanted to go get Pokemon cards back in the day. Everyone had a starter pack. I was going to everyone say, was this, like operating. this reminds me so much of Pokemon cards. Yeah, so everyone was operating from the same thing. Right now, everyone is not operating from the same base. You have like the early entrants that were in on it and credit to them because hey they got in for whatever amount of money that they had and they were able to get the right cards and sell them at high prices so now they have able to buy other car it's a marketplace that is built to be a racket it's I, I just don't understand how it's still operating under this like oh we're in beta but really it's once it they eventually flood the market I, I think it's really going to crash. So I was hoping to 
get in on it a little bit. I am like, all I want to do is turn 50 bucks into a thousand dollars. Like, is that so much to ask in this time, these trying times? I, I don't know. So uh, I guess my point of view is if I play enough 200 to one bets, eventually I'll make one. I'm still struggling to, I guess I'll try and find an explainer somewhere after this, but I'm still struggling. There are no good explainers, Ben. Okay. Cause even I was able to just kind of understand the GME thing, but the GameStop thing, but this, this is to be on. So like in theory, would there be like a bitter for your, your, your Conley stuff Would there? Is is there a market? Yeah. So yeah. So they have this marketplace. So, that's how it works, right? Is they've restricted the access by restricting the supply. They say like they're, oh, 15,000 potentially Mike Conley layups. And I, I use this one as an we, example. There are there, cooler things. Instead of saying Mike Conley layup, can we say like Blastoise? Sure. Yeah. So so think about it like, hey, there are 15,000 Blastoises that exist, but we're only going to let 750 into the market. So you're driving up the value of those 750 in a way that would not exist if the open market existed from both the supply and demand standpoint. So that's what's happening here from what I can gather using very economics 101 terms. There's other stuff involved, like it's backed by crypto or whatever, but and there's also the thing where it's difficult to get your money out. So if you've made money, just like everything else, and you want every other investment, yeah. So if you've if you've made ten thousand dollars after putting in a thousand or whatever, you know, maybe in a different life you would have taken out five thousand, banked it, but because they've kind of made it difficult to do that, you have all of this real money, but money that people wouldn't necessarily spend as they are inflating the market from a demand side. So my what, point what, what is just that, that like, that? so um, I guess think about it in terms of like, if, if you can't get 10, if you can't get your money out of where it is, but there's this marketplace attached to where it is, would you be more likely to spend or save that money? So it's like, you've got, you made $10,000. Is it like a situation where it's, you can, like a like a Mexican casino I've been to, where it's like, you can either get $8,000 back in cash or you can get the $10,000 in casino chips. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair way to think about it. Except you can't get the eight thousand dollars back in cash. You you have so you can't your, get any money. Can, you can't get the money you win at all. Not yet. I think it's taking a very long time for people to get money out. So they're not even they're not even thinking about. It. It's like, hey, we can give you your ten thousand dollars in casino chips, or we can send you a check in thirty days for. Eight thousand dollars, and maybe it'll arrive in thirty it's days. Like so, or other offshore betting sites, right? Like they send you yes. a check, like six months after you cash out. Yeah. Yes. So, the the, the minute discussion that I or the minute ran I had teed up got got turned into a, an eight minute explainer that mm. I did a. It was fascinating. You no, know, I think I did an all right job oh. explaining it because. Yeah, I still I, I have a loose understanding of it now. But if there were still water coolers in the world, I'd be able to explain it. I think. Yeah, I'm just uh, I uh, am afraid of the time when my wife asks. She she asked. I was on the computer earlier today, and she was like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "There's this new fad," and that that kept her at bay a little bit. Um, will that be able to continue? We shall see uh, when the next pack drop happens because I, I you know, ho- hopefully we do see the pack drop. But like you see these, uh, I'm not going to go on. I'm not going to go on. The, the $60 Blastoise slash Mike Conley layup to me, that is uh, a good way to end it. So 
<sighs> made it, Ben. I am just waiting out here looking for my Darko Milicic. Milicic. <laughs> Dunk. I'm trying to think of the most obscure NBA player I can think of. It's definitely Darko. There was one that I saw. And it was it was genuinely a basketball player I have never heard of. Genuinely, not even high high school, college, international, whatever. Um, let me see if I can find him. It was. Uh, uh, can I do it quickly? Is it worth finding this? Um, let's see. Can I explore this? Is it all, this is, is great. Players? Yeah, so it's all current players, and like they're setting themselves up in a way that does seem to make sense. Um, but it's just all going to come crashing down. Here it is, Keem Birch. I mean, I have never heard of him before, and it is his card is going for um, what was that? Uh, the lowest highlight of his is going for $33. Keem Birch. So, how, he, so you got Mike Conley at a steal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel pretty good about it. Like, <laughs> like I said, I, I put in, I put in, I put in 50 bucks. I wanted to have enough money so I could buy a pack if I got one. I didn't even get to the point where I wasn't able to even able to log in to even get into the queue. I don't care if I am 75,000 in a queue where only 5,000 get the things. But if I'm not even in the queue, it feels like even if there are 75,000 other people like me, there's a difference between being 140,000th and not being in the thing. I just want to know the chances that I'm playing with. So that's the other rant that I had. And Keem Birch, he's from Montreal. He played at Pittsburgh and UNLV, graduated in 2014, bounced around, and he's been on the Magic, I guess, since 2017. Amazing. I've never heard of this guy. But you can get a Keem Birch dunk for $33 on NBA Top Shot. Good work. It'll probably go up. Yeah. Good for Keen. Exactly. Like I said, I just want to turn 50 bucks into a thousand. I'm on my way with this Mike Conley layup. Top shot to the moon. To the moon. So for Ben Ross, I am Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. Squirtle.